Church, we are uh, continuing to look at the church of Jesus Christ. Again, my hope is that um, as we look at what the scriptures say concerning the church, that we will see more clearly God's purpose for his church and your purpose in his plan for his church, and which is ultimately, church, to glorify God by reflecting f- him first in, in our essence and then through our actions towards God, towards his church, and towards the world. And so let's pray real quickly. Lord God, we ask that as we come before your word, that our hearts would be ready to hear what you say concerning your church. Lord, um, you in your divine order, Lord, the way that you organize things and arrange things, God, is just majestic. When we look at the universe and we look at how the laws of everything function, it reflects your glory and your character and your intelligence and, and how you operate, Lord. And so when we look, we come to how you've organized the church, Lord, nonetheless, Lord, you are the author and you are the creator and you are the organizer. And so, Lord, we ask now that your spirit would give us understanding, that we would know um, your order in this and our place in that that we would give you maximum glory together as one body declaring the awesome praise of your name. And so in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. We've already spent a great amount of time speaking about the nature of the church, that the church consists of those who have believed upon Jesus' death and resurrection and therefore have been born again spiritually into the kingdom of God. You cannot join the church of Jesus Christ. You must be born into it spiritually. It is a spiritual entity. And that door, in order to get into the church, is the door of Jesus Christ. Amen. So you must believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that he rose again. And by God's grace, he makes you a new creation. Amen. And then you are born into his family, not by works, but by grace. And so that church consists of those who are spiritually born again. And as those who have been born spiritually in the church, we learned that we have a new identity in Christ Jesus. We find out after the fact, pretty much, that we are blessed. We've been chosen. We've been predestined to adoption. We have been redeemed. We've been forgiven. We've been given God's plan. And we've been sealed by his Holy Spirit. Those things define us. Ephesians chapter 1, and you can go on through all the first three chapters and all the other places in the Bible that talk about who you now are in Christ Jesus. The church isn't just anybody. These are people who have been blessed and chosen and predestined, redeemed, uh, adopted, uh, forgiven, given God's plan. You have the Holy Spirit. That's what makes up the church, is the identifying markers of believers. And now we know that as we've been born into this family of God, called the church, called the body of Christ, called the bride of Christ, there's a lot of different pictures there. As we've been born into this, we learn that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Just as we've been born into earthly families, we know that we have uh, our mother and our father, our father uh, who is supposed to be head of the house, and we have that structure there. We also have a, a, a structure within the church. And let me tell you that Pastor Matt is not the authority within the church. Jesus Christ is the authority over his church. Amen. I want to make sure that is very clear. <laughs> and it is his desire that each of his children within his, his family, blood-bought family, grow to maturity. That we don't stay retarded in our growth. 
that we all grow up fully mature in Christ Jesus. That's what brings him glory. And so the Lord, as head of his church, has given his church gifted men to build up the body of Christ through the ministry of the word and prayer. That's how he designed it. If he, and we hunkered down for quite a while on Ephesians 4.11, learning about the apostles and prophets who started the church, and then the evangelists and pastor-teachers. And we learn that they were given, as Ephesians 4.16-17 says, they were, that, that we would no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the, way, by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. See, that's what immaturity, it leads you to go to anything that's in front of you, right? You don't have to tell your kids, uh, you know, not to go off and go crazy. You have to tell them, no, come on, let's go back. You're going to die if you go play around that cliff. That is a tiger, you know? I mean, these things, it's not going to be nice. You, have to, you know, you're explaining things to your children, right? Maturity teaches you self-control, gives you wisdom, constraint. It actually starts to make you think of what? Others. That you lay your down your life for others, and that's what parenting is all about, is it not? You're laying your life down constantly for others. And so God has given these pastors and teachers and these gifted people within the body to raise us up. Instead of speaking, instead we speak the truth in love, continuing on in Ephesians 4, 11, uh, verse 15 actually here, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. That we learn how to connect to Christ. We can hear individually and collectively what he is saying as we obey what he says. And we start to function together and we start to move together supernaturally by his Holy Spirit as we are submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its what? Does its work. We all have a part to play in the body of Christ, every single one of us. And so in order for the church to mature, you must grow in that calling. You must know what it is. You must know your identity in Christ. You must respond to the word of God. You must be taught the word of God and be held accountable to it, encouraged it like parents, right? So that you would grow and learn what your place is within the body that God, the Lord Jesus has placed you in. And so the Lord has given elders and overseers and pastors, all the same word, uh, all different words describing the same function within the church, uh, that they would be established, those elders would be established in local churches to feed and protect and to build the flock through the ministry of the word and prayer. We see that you cannot get around that in scripture. That's exactly the way it's laid out. And again, these are servant leaders. Servant leaders. Lord, help us. Amen. And that is where we left off two weeks ago, looking at the organization. How many of you have said, hey, the church is an organism, not, not an organization? Have you ever thought if God kind of just thought that way? Does he have organization? Yeah, the very fact that the universe does not spin out of control flying everywhere is because he's very highly organized. 
And you can be an organism and also have organization. Think of you. You have organization within your body. And so organization is not a bad thing. It can choke out the life if you're not spirit-led, amen? (laughs) But this is the way the Lord sets up his church. And so I hope that it is clear um, that we must mature by hearing the word. And, And as we left off two weeks ago, we looked at the organization within the body because I want us to know I want us to know what the church is. I want us to know who we are, our identity in Christ. I want us to know how the Lord is set up to where we're going to grow in Christ. And by the way, pastors and elders are not the only way we, we, we grow, correct? There are gifted people within the body, but this is what I'm focusing on at the moment. So if you're going, hey, what about, there's a lot of whatabouts. I'm focusing on the main branch, okay? And so, the Lord has clearly established this so that all would come together, we would, be glorif- we would glorify God as his people, we would grow to maturity, and the way that we our maturity is seen is in how we worship God and how we love one another and how we evangelize the lost. Your maturity is shown in, in how you worship and, and, and pray and respond to God, and, and then how you actually live that out among your brothers and sisters. Do you love them like Christ loved? Because that's what maturity is. We grow, right? And then it's also shown in, do we obey Christ in reaching the lost? Do, are we a part of evangelism? Are we part of getting outside of ourselves and laying down our lives like Christ leaving heaven and coming down here, becoming one of us, and in, 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 in sharing the gospel, so to speak, sharing himself? <laughs> so that's important and so I hope it is clear that the way we mature is by hearing the word of God and simply obeying it our church's big motto is we exist to glorify God by loving and obeying Jesus Christ we, we glorify God by hearing what Jesus says and doing it <laughs> by the way God wants to work on how we do it, <laughs> amen, and the attitudes and, and all those types of things in which, in how we do it, amen, so, and that's a work of the Lord over time, and so this is paramount importance to the life of church, that we feed upon Christ, he is our life, his words are like honey on our lips and water to our souls, they are the rock that we build our lives on, and what he say, says is for our edification, do you know that, church? When, when Jesus tells you something, it's for your edification and for his glory. And so you can see how it is essential it is that those who Christ has gifted and called within the church to proclaim the gospel and to teach the gospel and to build up the body through the ministry of the word be fully devoted to that calling and everything else within the church, all the practical matters that need to get done The Lord Jesus has ordained that servants within the church called deacons head up those supportive and practical ministries. Amen. Amen. This is really difficult. And I'm going to explain this a little bit more further. What it's saying is that the elders need to eld and the deacons need to deke. (laughs) And I'm going to explain that a little further. And to the degree that the elders and deacons and the body properly see and elevate the importance of the word of God within the church. 
it often reflects in the degree that the church matures and glorifies God by our love and good works. If there's a low view of the word of God in scripture, there's going to be a a low maturity level within the church. If you've got a high view of the word of God, if it is to be elevated, not because we're looking at the book, we're looking at the head. Amen? What he says is life. If that's the high view, then that needs to be the priority in everything. And so let the elders teach. Let them be devoted to teaching and these types of things and all the other things that are absolutely necessary, the practical needs that support everything else. Those have to be taken up by godly people. And I'm going to explain from the scripture. I don't want to sit here and give you a concept and, and not make sure it's not founded and rooted in the word. Amen? And by the way, growing in this, in process, wanting to say, Lord, this is how your church works. I want to conform to it. Lord, let's change things if we need to change it. Whatever your word says, we want to, we want to go toward. If, if, I have a, if, if, if the elders have a better understanding of what your word says, let's, let's move towards that. If we need to repent in an area, we repent. Amen? Just like in our own lives. We conform to the word of God and we change. And so, to put it another way, to the degree that the ministry of the word and prayer is neglected by those who are called to shepherd the flock, it is the degree to which the church suffers all kinds of plight. Heavy stuff. And again, this comes down to roles within the church, roles within the church. Christ is the head. The elders, overseers, and pastors are to be shepherding the flock of God through the ministry of the word and prayer. Elders are not to be deacon, they are to be elding. And the deacons are those qualified, gifted people who are called to support the ministry of the word and the practical ministry of the church so that the body would be built up and glorified. How are you built up? Hearing and obeying the word. Amen? Pretty simple. Again, I know you're going in your mind, yeah, but elders, there's other people who teach. And I say, yes. I'm talking about the elders and the deacons this morning. Amen? Yes, there are other people who teach. We're going to get to that in part 19. <laughs> so with our remaining time today, we're going to look at the role of deacons within the church. Would you, would, you, would you pray for this? Would you pray that the Lord would help us in this area? And so please turn to two places, Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7, and 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. We're going to hit three sections of scriptures, but I'll just give you two now. Acts chapter 6, the next one will be 1 Timothy chapter 3. Okay, so Acts chapter 6 right now. Right off the bat, it's important to know that the word for deacon in Greek, guess what it means? It means a cool position within the church. What is it? It means a weird word in the church. I don't want that name or that title. What does it mean? It means servant. There we go. Deacon means servant. Why we didn't just translate the word servant and call people servants, I don't know. We decided deacons. That's what it means. It means servant. The title of servant is given to qualified men and women who serve the church in the practical areas of ministry. The elders are ministering in the spiritual needs of the church. It's all spiritual. But 
ministering in the word of God in prayer, and the deacons come along and they support all of that other stuff that needs to happen. The practical outworkings of the word of God and also the supportive things that are there. And we will read through the qualifications of a deacon in 1 Timothy 3 shortly, but it's important for you to know uh, that the qualifications of an elder and a deacon are pretty much the same throughout those, those two areas when they describe them. The qualifications are the same for a deacon and for an elder. Did you know that? That's pretty wild, except for in two areas. First, deacons seem to be both men and women, whereas elders and pastors, and I'm going to explain the women part First deacons seem to be both men and women, whereas elders and pastors and overseers, all describing the same role there to shepherd the flock, are strictly men. And I'm going to get into that. But secondly, the role of a deacon is not required that they be able to teach. That is the difference between the two qualifications. An elder must be able to teach. A deacon does not have to be able to teach. That does not mean that they are not to know the truths of Scripture. They're absolutely supposed to know the truths of Scripture. There's a high bar here. Of course there are deacons who can teach. Amen? It's just saying that it is not a qualification. They're not overseeing the church spiritually. The qualifications of a deacon are pretty much the same as an elder. However, elders and pastors and overseers must be able to teach, and deacons are not the primary teachers within the church. They do not serve the church as shepherds. So I want to put that out real quickly. They serve the church through the practical areas of service. Everything from collecting the money, everything from heading ministries, everything from how in the world this place gets arranged to, um, you know, how... how I mean, there's just tons of stuff going on to where servants within the church are raised up, put in positions of leadership to serve you. Amen. Now, to give you an idea of what the role of a deacon looks like and where it is, let's, let's get a word picture. Acts chapter 6, okay? The, most, the church here in Acts chapter 6 most likely had tens of thousands of people by this time in Jerusalem. And Part of the practical outworking of the ministry of the word in the church is good works. Amen? When the word of God impacts the hearts of the people, they start to do what God would do. And one of the things that God would do, thank you very much, grammar. What does he do? Takes care of widows and orphans. What does James say? James says in, in James 1, 2, 8, 7, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this looking after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Pure and undefiled religion. What do you notice about widows and orphans? They can't help themselves. God has a heart for people who cannot help themselves. And we learn later that there's actually qualifications for widows that he lays down because it, it's strictly those women who cannot help themselves. And the word of God has its effect upon the people of God, and it was displayed by their love and good works. But there arose a problem. Anybody ever been a part of a ministry that's a good ministry that has problems? Anyone? Yes, I have. Do you believe it or not? 
But there's a problem. Begin, Acts 6, beginning in verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Right? Now, quickly, there were Jewish Christians from all over the place. Remember in Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit fell upon the, the disciples. Peter gets up, he preaches, and like people from all over are coming to the Lord. We know because he spoke in tongues and people were hearing from all these different languages in their own languages the praises of God. These people are, are Jews. They're all centralized there in Jerusalem for the, uh, Pente- for the uh, Feast of Pentecost and they all are converted. And so they're not going to go home pretty much. I mean, they can, but a lot of them stayed because that's where the church was. It wasn't like, hey, there's a church over here. That was the church. It started right there. So they hung out. They got people from different backgrounds. The Hellenistic Jews are people with a Greek culture, Greek background. They spoke Greek. They came from Greek lands. They were Jews, though. All visiting Jerusalem came to the Lord. Then there was the Hebraic Jews. They were the hometown Jews, okay? They got these two groups there. And what had happened, apparently, is that the Jewish widows with a Greek background were being overlooked in the daily distribution of bread. There was a murmuring that comes about. And I'm not going to sit here and talk about leadership and all this type of stuff and how how you navigate through these issues, but it's important if you're in one of those situations, read through this. Verse 12. And so the 12, that would be Matthias, was added after Jesus, Judas left. So that's the 12. You got the 11 disciples plus Matthias. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be what? It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait tables. Now on, on the surface of that, you're going, that sounds like a guy. <laughs> saying that, right? No, that's not it. They had their priorities right. They had their priorities right. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait tables. You see, they understood their position within the church. They understood the call of God upon their lives. They understood what the effect of the Word of God has upon the people of God, and there was no one else qualified to do that. Jesus had set them apart, called them to do it. Amen? They had to stay focused. What happens if they go ahead and say, yeah, forget this, let's start doing this? The church is not built up. It is not edified. So what do they do? Verse 3, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. And we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. You see the priority there of verse 12. I'm sorry, of of the 12 and verse 2. You see their priority. Their priority is what? Ministry of the word and prayer. You see that? And again, they're in verse 4. They were given their attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. That's what these men were called to. And that is the priority of those who are spiritual leaders within the church. They're called to minister in the word and prayer. Notice in verse 2 that what would not be right for them? What does it say? To neglect the word in order to wait tables. Does it mean that there isn't time where you stop and you just stop what you're doing and you help things out? Oh no, I'm a pastor, I can't do that. No, of course not. You're marked by service, amen? But it's a double-edged sword because you can be 
serving in the wrong area, you can also serve in the Word of God. Let me tell you, standing before the Word for 15 hours and, and pulling this stuff so that you get fed, it's not easy. Do you think I want to sit there and do that? No. And I, I'm looking to deke while I'm doing it. I'm looking at what, you know, oh, I got to go take a break. You know, the guys were working on the bathrooms. I walk by every 20 minutes or something, look at them and go, hey, can you need any help or something? Not really, but <laughs> I was really trying not to do anything because you guys were pretty, <laughs> you were deacon, way deacon. And I'm just saying that there's the desire to neglect the things that God has called you to, to go do other things. It wouldn't be right. They're saying that this is not their role as shepherds. Now, again, there is a sense in which the greatest is the servant of all. Amen? Always willing to humble yourself and to do those things. Always. So the Lord Jesus did. But this does not mean that you neglect where God has called you to serve as a shepherd. Because the word and prayer have such a high priority for the twelve, because it is such a high priority, they say in verse 3, brothers and sisters, choose others to do this. It needs to be done. It's not that this is not a thing that, that isn't worthy of being done. It needs to be done. There's, it's very important. Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we're going to turn these responsibilities over to them. The elders needed to delegate the service within the church to others. And notice that they had the body select these men. Notice that. Choose from among you. But also notice they put training wheels on that. Here's the qualifications. They gave the body restrictions, spiritual oversight in these matters. And we're going to look at them. There's six of them from Acts. He says that they were to be men. They were to be from among them. That is, they were to be believers from the gathering. Don't choose someone who's not a part of our church. Don't grab a musician from another church or from another place or, or you know, some studio musician to come lead worship on the worship team because we just need to fill a spot. From among you. You. In this room. This morning. From among you. And that also implies that they're believers, Right? And they were to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Full of the Spirit and wisdom. That means they were to be spiritually minded men. Spiritually minded women. Who's spiritually minded? You consider the scriptures when you make decisions. You consider God's heart and how he would do this, how this would affect his kingdom, how this would affect his glory. What does the Lord say about this? Even if it's a menial task, you're always considering what God would say, spiritually minded, not just earthly wisdom and what all this, you know, oh, well, you know, this is what this magazine says or whatever. It's about what God says. You have to be spiritually minded. Not just guys who could organize and get things done. 
but men who understood the scriptures and who would apply them in, a responsib- in the responsibilities they were entrusted to. And this is because it is about glorifying God, not getting a task done. Amen. Making sure that the widows were fed, but not just fed. Look at the situation. There's obviously cultural things going on. There's, there's division that can happen within the church. What happens if that's handled wrong, poorly, in the flesh? If people start backbiting and talking, and, and, and a leader jumps in and starts spinning that out of control, what happens? You need someone with the spirit and with wisdom who's going to speak the truth and love and try to unify people. Amen? You can see how the oversight of the 12 helped put training wheels on the decisions being made. That the body would be edified rather than destroyed in a very tricky situation. Notice verse 5. This proposal, what? It pleased the whole group. Awesome. Let's do that. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip and Prochorus and, and Nicanor and Timon and uh, Parmenas and Nicholas and from Antioch a convert to Judaism, and and they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. Did you notice something about these things? What what are their all names? All their names are what? Does anybody know? Are they Jewish? They're Greek. Whoa. That is really a testament to the love of this church, isn't it? Isn't that an amazing testament? To the love of the church. I mean, if they were going to play it politically correct, they were going to have some control of the situation. I'm going to put four Helen. Uh, I'm going to put four Hebraic Jews and three Hellenistic. So he's got the majority, and it's going to, you know, we'll work it out. You know, just so you know, we'll let you do this. But we're, what do they say? We love you. Have it. They were Hellenistic. What a testimony to the love of Christ, by the way. And notice that the people they put in there had the most skin in the game. They were people who, it was their people. They cared. And I think anybody who serves in an area of ministry or has oversight of an area of ministry, you've got to be in it. You've got you to be invested. You've got to care. You've got to feel. When they bleed, you bleed. You know what I mean? The Hellenistic Jews, were, they were all in. That's, that's another subtle point, but they, they had that skin in the game. They had to be involved. They cared about what was going on. God uses people to serve in His church who are sensitive to His Holy Spirit and who care deeply about His people and His glory. Amen? Notice the twelve ratified their decision. They laid hands on them. It wasn't out of the... The elders' decision, so to speak, of that group, they had to put their rubber stamp. They had to say, yes, this is what God is doing. We agree to it. They have oversight. See how that works? They say, you go choose it. Here's some parameters. Bring them back. Yeah, that's, that's pleasing to the Lord. Great. And what do they do? They laid hands on them. Laying hands on them and saying, we're with you. We, we recognize you as a church, that we are behind you, and, and we empower you with the authority that we have to go do what you're called to do. Now go do it. Go serve the church wholeheartedly. And notice in verse 7, what was the result of this? And this is the key verse. What does it say? So the word of God was.
Totally. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The spread and effect of the word of God was being impeded by this distraction. It was a good distraction. There was good things going on in it. Amen? But that was not what those 12 were called to do. And so servants were raised up to serve in this particular matter so the word of God would be continuously focused upon. Do you see how the church works together? The priority of the word. How we come together so that the word may go forward. And if it sounds boring, if it sounds like the cross, it is. Amen? If it sounds like you've got to deny yourself, you do. Amen? That's what it's about. It's about his kingdom and his glory and his message and his word. And as a result, even priests were, became obedient to the faith. Religious people were even impacted. Oh, I don't want to go there right now. And so this is where the origin of a deacon in the church most likely came from. And I think it describes how they came about. And some of the qualifications there were markers of what Paul would later describe in 1 Timothy 3, if you turn there. And the question is, who can become a deacon? A deacon is really a ministry leader, kind of defined in our church. It's someone who is in charge of the practical tasks. We're all servants within the church, amen? We all serve, we all deek. <laughs> We're all deacons, so to speak, but the office of a deacon is someone who's in charge, of those areas. Timothy 3 speaks to about the qualifications. And again, these are just rehashing um, the, the elders, and so I'm just going to briefly go through them. Um, if you missed the elders, you, the, you can go back a couple weeks and check out that message. But it says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 8, in the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. And so Paul had just finished laying down the qualifications for an elder, and he's saying, in the same way, in the same manner, and that, that phrase, in the same way, is introducing a new group. And Paul starts describing that there are qualifications for deacons, those who serve in the church to help support the ministry of the word. And Paul starts by saying they must be worthy of respect. This means they must be serious or stately concerning, concerning serious and stately things. You know, they can't, you know, be a total absolute goofball. Now, sense of humor is fine, but you're not going to put someone who treats serious matters uh, like they're foolish in a position of authority. You don't do that because that will be modeled. It doesn't mean they're to be cold and callous. No, there's a seriousness about them when it came to godly things. Secondly, deacons are to be sincere. The word in Greek here means uh, double-tongued. They're not to be double-tongued, right? So deacons are to be sincere. Um, they aren't to be the ones who say one thing to one person and to another something else. The NIV, NIV tried to capture that word double-tongued with sincere or true. There isn't two truths going on at the same time. There's one. It, they're sincere. Again, the, 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 the word picture is you have a pot and there were cracks in it in order to sell it. They would fill it in with, with some kind of wax and they'd paint over it. And then when you brought it home, 
you go, oh, look at this beautiful pot. You heat it up, and then all of a sudden, the, the stuff starts coming out the side. You go, oh, that's insincere. It's not true. It has, it's with wax. It had cracks in it. They're not to have the cracks, okay? They're to be whole. Second, uh, thirdly, not indulging in much wine. A deacon must not be preoccupied with drinking. His mind is to be ready and focused on the things of God and not be preoccupied with drinking and things of that sort. Next, not pursuing dishonest gain. This couldn't be a person who used their position to make money. Oh, I'm going to be a deacon because I get to handle the money bags. That was Judas's problem, remember that? In John 12, 4 through 6. Deacons were often responsible for, for taking the offerings or distributing funds and all that. They had to have integrity. They had to be responsible with things. They couldn't be a person who pursued dishonest gain. Next, they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. How many of you say the mysteries of the faith? Because the word in, in, in Greek is mysterion. The deep mysteries of the, faith, uh, of the faith. The Old Testament had the New Testament in, of it, in it concealed, right? The prophecies in the Old Testament were revealed in Christ in the New Testament. He is the mystery, basically. There's a lot of mysteries there. So the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. That's a little something I learned when I was new in Christ. With the mystery revealed, there's many of them, but they're all centered around the work of Christ, His incarnation, His indwelling believers. The mystery of the unity of the Jews and the Gentiles in Christ. How can we be one with such great divides? The mystery of the gospel, the mystery of lawlessness, and of the return of Christ. All the essential things of the faith you've got to know because you've got to know how to handle circumstances in light of that. So there's a lot of mysteries the deacon is to know New Testament truth. Not to say you don't know the Bible, but what, is the, what does Jesus say about these things? Not only know it, but have a clear conscience. In other words, you can't be reading it, know it, and your life lived in violation of it. Amen? You've got to be living in light of the Word. Your conscience can't be violated. I like what John MacArthur said concerning the conscience. He said, God gave us a conscience that lets us know whether we violate the law of God. And our conscience either excuses or accuses us. Isn't that interesting? It either produces guilt, fear, or shame, remorse, and despair over sin, or assurance, peace, joy due to righteousness. I think quite often when we navigate in the area of conscience, we need to, it's pretty straightforward. God put it together. There's things that are, are you in violation of the law of God or are you not? can't live that double life. And so a deacon is to have a grasp of the, of the revealed truth and hold it clear with the conscience. Then verse 10 says, they must first be tested. And then, if nothing's against them, let them serve as deacons. Pretty good parameters here. All these things match up. If they're, if they're like that, then go ahead and, and let them be tested. And by the way, the word tested is, is ongoing. As you look at the Greek, it's, it's not just a one and done. It's not just a season. It is ongoing. You're always being tested, so you're always being examined, right? But, but there should be a period of looking and, and, and seeing who they are and if their character proves out. And if they prove to be true, they can serve as deacons. Now, verse 11 is not without controversy. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. 
How many of your translations say, in the same way, wives are to be worthy of respect? Please leave the room. I'm just kidding. <coughs> the word for women here is translated wives um, in some versions because it can, e- it can mean either or. It doesn't necessarily mean that this is referring to deacons' wives. It does not necessarily refer to that, and let me explain that to you. But because of the context... Because of the context, and that's important when you interpret Scripture, because of the context, some of the translators took the liberty to translate that word wives instead of women because they assumed that deacons are only men, as, as you see described in other places, right? And so the question is, is Paul referring to wives of deacons or to women in general? Now, if you read the next verse in verse 12, which says a deacon must be faithful to his wife and manage his children and his household as well, it tends to make you think that they were justified in translating it wives. But the text can be translated women. And and for reasons that I'm going to talk about uh, and show you, I tend to believe that Paul is addressing women who serve as deacons within the church, not the wives of deacons. Okay? The reason why myself and others think this is because Paul uses the phrase in the same way. Remember I told you that introduces a new group. In the same way, deacons. After elders, it says in the same way, deacons. And then all of a sudden it says in the same way, women. They did not address the, wa- the elders' wives. And everything's a parallel in these passages. I know I'm getting in a little bit in outer space here. But there's, there's enough reason for me to believe that this is a new group of women who serve in the church. This does not negate all of Paul's teachings about women in the church. It just says that women serve in the church. Amen? Women are not pastors and they're not teaching over men. According to the scriptures, that is not going on. But let me tell you, as you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, as you look at all the women that supported him, as you look at the New Testament, yes, you can grab Phoebe, who's called a deacon, and other people as well. You see the role of women in the church is absolutely vital. Look at your own home. Look at your own home. There are roles within the church. And to say that, that women do not have a role within the church to serve whatsoever, that is ridiculous. Women have a place, but it is not one of a shepherd. It is not one of teaching men. But let me tell you, women are commanded by Paul to teach younger women. The older women are commanded to teach the younger women. You are commanded to do that, to teach them how that all works. Commanded to teach your children. Timothy is even, you talk about Timothy, it's even alluded to where, think about it. Leadership is influence, is it not? The most influential person in my home is Christine. I'm over here. I'm, other, I'm doing all other things. Christine is, has been with our children so much. And people go, oh man, your children are well behaved. I'm like, that's her. They read their Bibles all the time. That's her. They pray. That's her. They, you know, and yeah, they model me in many ways, but great influence, great teaching over our children, raising up the next godly generation, praise the Lord. What a powerful thing. Listen, sin came when a woman decided she was not going to be under her husband, and she was deceived. That's Bible 101. 
But let me tell you, the same way that generations are absolutely influenced by godly mothers, by godly women, the other way around. God is glorified in women's roles within the church. Amen. So don't ever think second-class citizens. We are co-heirs. We are co, um, uh, you know, co-heirs in Christ is how he describes it. Equal. Jesus is equal with the Father. However, Jesus is what? In submission to the Father. And that is the picture we have here. There is a push among the churches to dismiss God's order of things. And I, and I feel that um, men have a lot of issues going on, especially men in the church. They either are, um, they've either abused their authority or they've neglected it. And I think that's true in the home. You've, you've either got a guy who's telling everybody what to do or you've got someone who's checked out and sits on a sofa and, and, and it doesn't even do anything. You know, and as I've kind of headed into ministry, you figure, you know, boy, I'm going to deal with a lot of guys who are overbearing, you know, and, and how that's going to work out. But that's not the case. I've got a bunch of women crying out for their husbands to get up and lead. Will they just take us to church? Will they just pray? Will they step up? Will they sacrifice? Will they love? Will they do these things? I mean, this is the cry of women. And so I, I don't, you know, yes, there's the segment of society that says, oh, man, you're, you're speaking down to women and all this type of stuff. It's like, no, I'm not. God has called you within a role, and that role is something that only you can fulfill. I can't do that. I'm a man. I don't, it doesn't fit me. And if you don't know your creator and know how he created and know how he formed you and realize how precious it is for this time, You're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on all that God has called for you. Don't go with the wave of the world. Don't listen to that. Listen to your Father who made you, who formed you, who knows you. And I know I'm just speaking from the heart right now, but there's a lot of verses and stuff that impact this. But I think Paul's saying, listen, there's women who are going to serve in the church, and you too have qualifications, by the way. You too have standards that you have to abide by. No, you're not going to be teaching from the pulpit. Not because you can't teach better than Matt. You probably can, but you're not, that's not the role. Amen? But here he says, what does he say? What are the qualifications? Verse 12. Well, actually, sorry, verse 11. First, he says, in the same way as male deacons, the women are to be worthy of respect. Again, it's the same word in verse 8. They must be dignified or serious or stately. They don't make light of serious spiritual matters. And then again, they're not to be malicious talkers. The word there for malicious talkers is diablos. Guess what that word is? Don't be a devil. That's where we get the word slanderers. Women serving in the church are called to be those who control their tongues not malicious gossips who destroy the body, but rather use their words to build it up. Amen? Rather, they are to be, verse 11, temperate and trustworthy in everything. Temperate means they're not to be drinkers. 
it rehashes the same qualifications, okay? He's just, he's just mirroring all these ones. Trustworthy in everything in the Greek means trustworthy in everything in the Greek. Pretty good translate. They were handled. They're to be able to be trustworthy. How many employers are just searching for someone they can trust? There's nothing better than being able to delegate to someone and know that they have your best interests at heart. Amen? They know they have the heart. That's what these women are to be. And so women serving in the church of God, that God has called and gifted women in the church to come alongside the ministry of the word and to glorify God through their service in the church. Amen. Now verse 12, Paul finishes with the qualifications of a deacon. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. And so he goes back and just makes the point, if, you can't, if, you're, if you're not faithful to your wife, you can't serve in the church. Pretty much going to be disqualified and kicked out of the church if you're not faithful to your wife, right? That's sin. If, if you can't manage your own kids, if they aren't, it's the same thing of worthy of all respect. You've got to do it in a manner worthy of all respect. Are your children obedient? Do you love your wife? Are these things in order? Then those will be reflected in your service in the church. Amen? And I think this is important because the path to eldership goes through the deacons. So he starts here. Those who've served well, in closing, verse 13, gain excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Jesus Christ. What does this mean, those who have served well gain excellent standing? Literally, it means that they will be lifted up above others, to be put on a pedestal. Faithful deacons will be respected and honored by those who serve well. This is not a sin. A sin is seeking out that honor, but when we say to you, good job on the bathroom, stand up, we appreciate you. <laughs> that is being lifted up because you guys serve the church, amen? You guys serve the church. Praise the Lord. Thank you. You receive honor. James 4, 10 and 1 Peter 5, 6 speaks about that heart. And we're going to close here. The humbling the heart of a servant is one who is humbled. Not seeking the position, but seeking to serve. Do you see that? It's different. The way of kingdom, brothers and sisters, is down, not up. The way of the kingdom is humility. This age is speaking to women, and it's saying, you better rise up. It's speaking to men and saying, you better rise up. And God is saying, humble yourselves. Become nothing. Serve yourself. Lose yourself. You want to gain your life, you lose it. That's the kingdom, folks. We don't, we don't belong to this world anymore. It's humility. And we can meet all the qualifications and meet the need as deacons, but miss the manner in which the Lord would have us to serve as a deacon within the church, as a son or a daughter of the living God, and that is with humility. And let me finish. I was teaching Wednesday morning at the Christian Aid Center in Genesis 17 and 18. You heard that right. Wednesday morning, one hour, I did 17 and 18. Two chapters. <laughs> Request denied. <laughs> and in chapter 17, God <laughs> confirms his covenant with Abraham. 
And he says, you're going to be the father of many nations. And he changes his name from Abram to Abraham, meaning you are going to be the chief of nations. You are the chief of nations. That's what God just promoted him. You are the chief of nations. You go into chapter 18. In the very next chapter, Abraham, this God-ordained chief of nations, has three visitors come to his tent. And it says in chapter 18, verses 1 through 7, let me read 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 it for you. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, where he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. And Abraham looked up and saw three men standing, by, standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them. And he what? He bowed low to the ground. He said, if I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass, uh, pass your, your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may wash all your feet and rest under this tree, and and let me get you something to eat, and and you can be refreshed, and then go your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. And so Abraham quickly hurried into his tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, "Get, get three measures of the finest flour, and knead it, and bake some bread. And then he ran to the herd, and selected a choice tender calf, and gave it to his servant, who hurried to prepare it. And then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set it before these men. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Whoa. What is the chief of nations doing? He's serving. serving. How is he serving? Look at how he serves. See the heart? He bowed before them. He humbled himself. He brought water to wash their feet. Who does that remind you of? He also asked to feed them. Can I feed you? What does he feed them? He involves others in his service. Real quickly, he involves others in his service. He grabs others. He grabs his wife. He grabs his servant. He says, Sarah, make the cakes, make the bread. And then he chooses the choice calf, the best calf. And he had his servant prepare it. What does that mean? What happens to happen to the calf? What is Sarah making? Bread. And then what do you have? The blood. In the Old Testament there. Picture, little hidden pictures of the, the, the calf that was slain in the bread. Just beautiful pictures anyways. I love that. And notice how, notice how Abraham served. Listen, how are we to serve? How are, in what manner are we to serve each other in the Lord? Verse 2, what did he do? He hurried. Verse 6, he hurried. Verse 7, he ran. There's an urgency. There's a consideration of others there. Do you see that? He wants to make it so convenient for them. And then in verse 8, while they ate, he stood. Looking, is there anything I can do? If something falls, I want to go grab it. I want to help. This is the chief of nations. Jesus, what did he do on the night that he was betrayed? He got down on his knees. And he washed his disciples' feet. He said, this is greatness in the kingdom. This is greatness. You want to be the greatest? Become the servant of all. The way up in the kingdom is down. Humble yourself before the Lord, church. 
and he will lift you up and you will have great assurance in your faith in Christ Jesus. Lord God, as we look at this, may we all be servants, God. May we all have the heart of Abraham, the heart of Christ, that your word would go forward, God, that anything that would encumber it would, would be met, that the needs of the people, that the ministry of your word, even the fruit of it, the things that are happening would be met by godly, faithful people. And perhaps uh, we're sitting here this morning calling out to you going, Lord, I just stink in five of those areas. I've got maybe got one that's half-functioning. Lord, would you grow us up? <laughs> would you come and change us? Would you come and help us to aspire and not to stay where we are, but to humble ourselves to the point of the death on the cross, the death of ourselves, that others might live, that your word would go forward, that people would be blessed. So God, raise up servants. We love you. We praise you this morning. We thank you that you, Lord Jesus, are our chief example of all this. We bless you. We thank you. It's in the name, Father, of your precious Son, Jesus, that we pray and we've gathered. Be honored, Lord, and do your work in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen.